Hello, this is vaunted television expert and puppet enthusiast Glenn Pumpweed, and you are listening to The Contrarians. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Muppets Most Wanted. Hello and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. And before we get into it, Julio, we got to give thanks to uh, our friend Glenn Pumpweed for that opening there. Uh, TV expert and puppet connoisseur from the Happy Time Murders universe, Zeitgeist. It's now our universe. He's crossed over into the Contrarians universe. He's now part of Contrarians canon. Uh, Glenn Pumpweed, a.k.a. John Keating, a friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of Julio's. Uh, Thank you very much for sending in that um, introduction for our podcast. Uh, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, we recently covered Happy Time Murders, and in the marketing campaign for that movie, he uh, had a role as the aforementioned name of Glenn Pumpweed. (laughs) What a name. We'll be sure to link... uh, to the clip that he's featured in as well as uh, posting a picture of it. But John, Glenn, we appreciate it. Julio, we have made it to the end of the Muppethon. One of your, uh, your most recent project here on the contrarians, you mapped out this journey that we went on, uh, through the history of the Muppets, as well as some of the detours. And now we're here at their most recent offering and the end of the Muppethon. Yes. Uh, it's, it's weird because it feels like uh like it was just starting. <laughs> like they they'd just been reborn and uh, mm-hmm. and now and now it's over. But I mean, we'll talk about that. How old is this movie, Alex? I think it's 2014. Yeah, so 7, almost 8. Yeah. And it was 8. That's it feels like a lifetime ago, but I guess it's actually kind of recent. All things considered. I mean, seeing as how yeah. we we've talked about Muppet movies from decades ago, uh, this is this is technically this one, the twenty eleven, are the Muppet movies that were made for, like specifically aimed at us. I think you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. when we watched the the original Muppet movie, uh, even Muppets Take Manhattan, that felt like you know that was made for our parents maybe, and then uh, Muppet Wizard of Oz, that was we were too cool for that at the time. You know the nineties. Or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about Happy Time Murders right now. <laughs> we'll 
that's setting that aside. Uh, but anyway, this one is like the the theatrical release that I think was just aimed at us. This one and you know its its predecessor. So it is a fitting finale, I think, to this major Muppet arc that we've tackled. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's where it ended for us. It's where it ends for the Muppets, at least so far. And uh, I think that it's it's important to call out, like we did, I think, at the very beginning, that we could have done an episode on the 2011 Muppets. Which it, mm-hmm. It's the, the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes since the mid-90s, I think. And uh, <laughs> we've constantly, throughout the run of the show, we've mentioned how much we love it and how perfect we think it is. And it would certainly be a challenge to be negative about that movie. I actually rewatched it kind of as a warm-up before Muppets Most Wanted. And the uh, uh, entire time I was just like, man, <laughs> I mean, I could poke holes into this movie, but would I want to? It'd be a task. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the reason why I, I didn't put it on our roadmap. Uh, one of the reasons is that we've talked about this movie. We, Like I said, we've mentioned it before, but we, we actually guessed it on uh, our friend Sam Hurley's podcast, uh, Movie Reviews in 20 Qs, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we we threw twenty questions at Muppets at the Muppets, uh, and we had fun. We talked about it. You know, we we we've already done a fair share of real talk about uh, the twenty eleven Muppets. And then the other thing is that if we had to pick one of the two, Muppets Most Wanted is the the one that people don't seem to talk about as much. And so, I I think that it was a better use of our uh, podcasting real space to kind of. Throw Ricky Gervais a bone and shine the spotlight one last time on his his team up with the Muppets. So yeah, if you want to hear us talk about uh, Muppets 2011, uh, and I recommend you do, uh, check out Sam's uh, uh, podcast. I'll link to the episode on the notes. Uh, I think that they'll provide some background, especially once we go into real talk. Uh, but if not, I mean, either way, we're going to recap our feelings about that movie. Because I, I think that it's necessary, both in Contrarian's Corner and in Real Talk, to acknowledge the existence of the 2011 Muppets. Yes. This uh, Ty Burrell's first appearance on the Contrarians? Uh, as part of a movie we're discussing. Yeah, I mean, I know I've referenced Phil Dunphy before, but <laughs> as far as his actual appearance. Uh, so if nothing else, it was worth it for that, too. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about throughout the Muppethon is the importance of the cameos and this one I guess recency bias but man it might be the most loaded we've covered I think that this is the one that where we just recognize every cameo yes and don't get too excited listeners we don't have Tarantino showing back up that, that still <laughs> holds the crown uh, but a lot of people in here and having seen this movie before the thing was there was a lot of uh, cameos I'd completely forgotten about it's like five second cameos if that just rapid fire. Like McAvoy shows up and I, I almost thought he was an extra for a second. And then the next second he was gone. Oh, yeah. You have to pay attention to that. That Of all of them, that one's probably the one of, if you're not paying close enough attention, it'll just go away. <laughs> You'll be left, you know, after the movie, someone will be like, oh, that was crazy. James McAvoy was in there like, what? <laughs> so. If this is your first time joining us on The Contrarians, we greatly appreciate it. If you're joining us, once again, if you're a returning listener or if you've just been with us for the Muppethon only, uh, we appreciate that all the same. Give us a moment here while we explain what it is we do to any and all new listeners out there. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, and bring that movie down to size. 
make a case for maybe why it's a bit overrated, some of the things the critics swept under the rug, overrated performances, what have you. Uh, just all in an attempt to say that art is subjective and you can be as negative about anything as you want to be or as over the moon about anything as you want to be. Uh, conversely, on alternating episodes, we'll find a movie that is lowly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, about 30% and below, and we'll do just as you'd expect. Argue for the positive merit in that film, great acting, bold choices by a director, uh, interesting storytelling, what have you. Bending our rules here a little bit on the Muppethon, Julio constructed this roadmap that we've been on so far. Uh, we're ending here with Muppets Most Wanted with 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, so a little bit lower than we typically aim for. But that being said, we're still going to treat this as though it was a certified fresh 100%er. Um, what's a 100%er we've done? Modern Times mm -hmm. with Charlie Chaplin. So in the first half of the podcast, we'll be uh, arguing against the, the positive reception of this film. If Julio listeners want to know how we really feel about Muppets Most Wanted, they just have to hang around till the second half. That is correct. Uh, the second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel about the movies. Uh, if you've been paying attention, if you've been following the Muppethon, you probably noticed the trend, and that trend is that Alex and I have generally been pretty positive about the movies that we've covered, with uh, the one exception being the Happy Time Murders, where we were a little more divided. So will that trend continue with today's movie will uh will the big finale of the muppethon be a a happy one or is this where the muppets lose us uh well you'll find out when we get to real talk all right so 80 percent of rotten tomatoes means 80 percent of the critics that left a review were pretty high on it julio what were the critics saying about disney's the muppets most wanted is it the muppets most wanted or muppets most wanted um yeah, you're right. So 2011 was the Muppets, and this is just Muppets Most Wanted. They dropped the duh. It's much cleaner. Yep, yep. Uh, all right. Well, Alex, let's open the final chapter of the Muppethon with uh, a reviewer that's very near and dear to our heart. Kip Mooney from College Movie Review says, It may not be easy being green, but it's easy to enjoy Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah. Hey, Kip. That's It's easy to read your quotes, Kip. I wish that they were on every movie that we cover. Uh, Zaki Hassan from Zaki's Corner says, It's pretty tough to criticize something that stands as such a stubborn testament to the simple tactile power of felt and fur to draw in and retain our interest and emotional investment. Um, Ozaki, if you call yourself a movie critic, it is your job to criticize this. You can't just let the, the emotions brought about by felt and fur to uh, distract you from your duty. Uh, Scott Mendelson from Forbes says, The Muppets wanted you to laugh and cry. Muppets Most Wanted wants you to cry with laughter. Which one do you prefer, Alex? You know, I'm a big softy, a big sentimentalist, but uh, there's merit to both of those, and we'll get to that more in the second portion. But in the case of this, you know, it takes a lot more to hit the, the heartstrings than just laugh. Anyone can step on a rake, you know. Everybody can. Anybody can get hit in the balls. It's funny in every language. Man, all those cameos in Muppets Most Wanted, not a single groin shot. For shame. And finally, uh, Chris Carpenter from Movie Theorist says, A superior sequel. The film takes a welcome, lighter approach than its immediate predecessor and wisely puts the Muppets front and center again. I don't think this guy likes Jason Segel. I think that's just his issue. He just didn't want to say it. <laughs> 
Thank God Jason Segel didn't come back. Walter doesn't even call home. He he really forgot his family after he uh, he became a Muppet. So it was March 21st of 2014. I remember, I think it was like South by Southwest week when I went and saw this with the young lady I was dating at the time. I remember laughing much, much more than she did. <laughs> I was about to ask if she was a Muppet fan. Uh, I honestly don't remember if she knew anything about the Muppets beforehand, but I was like, let's go see the Muppets. <laughs> the Muppets. <laughs> That's a risky move, Alex. I imagine it was not a first date. No, it was not. Okay. Uh, directed by James Bobbin, who directed The Muppets in 2011, and written by James, as well as Nicholas Stoller, who co-wrote the 2011 one with Jason Siegel. So, some familiar faces returning to the fold here. Uh, and it makes sense, because we pick up right where we left off. We literally pick up at the, the end title card from The Muppets 2011. And just for no reason, right away, we get a cameo from Rob Corddry. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the implication is that Robert Corddry was the assistant director in the previous movie, right? Because he's wrapping it up. He's just sending people home. Uh, I felt that this was... There's something that this movie knows, for better or for worse. And that is that it's nothing without the previous movie. And so it mm-hmm. constantly just reaches back to that first movie, to that movie from 2011. Uh and it's pretty transparent about it because, like you said, the, the beginning of this movie is literally the ending of last of the last movie. Well, just two stand-ins for Amy Adams and Jason Segel because we're not forking up that kind of money. <laughs> no. Just for the, you just shoot them from the back. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, man. Not even Chris Cooper. <laughs> he doesn't even get a shot like of himself in the hospital or something. Uh, it's not just that Jason Segel and Amy Adams are gone, but also that uh, the sentimentality of the 2011 is. Is gone, right? Like the the how did that movie open? It opened with a a, a pretty uh, uh, nostalgic voiceover from Walter, and then it led into "Life's a Happy Song," and it's all about feelings. This movie, instead, it just goes straight into like, "Fuck it, we're doing a sequel, so give us your money." Yeah, they literally go into uh, the first song of the movie, which is We're Doing a Sequel. And I remember it as a song fired up that I listened to the soundtrack for this movie quite a bit when it came out because it's the Muppets. They got some earworms and they cut out the best part of this song because uh, I was kind of singing along to it. And then I got to the part, but then they just chopped to the next scene where in the song, in the full length track, they, you know, we're doing a sequel. How hard can it be? And then Rolf comes in and goes, we can't do any worse than The Godfather 3. <laughs> but it's a Disney movie, so they had to keep in like the jokes about Tom Hanks and Toy Story 4 and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's literally, they just call out their monetary worth and you know they've brought us on for a sequel. You know what's sad? That when they made the Toy Story 4 joke in this movie, they probably thought that there wasn't going to be a Toy Story 4. And now there is. Yep. I still haven't seen it, but I believe you. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Get a Lady Gaga cameo. 
her and Piggy kind of have a not a face off, but a a knowing nod at one another. <laughs> Just respect. Game recognizes game. That's right. Uh, in in this though, they're trying to figure out the plot of the the film, what it's going to be. Fozzie gets his amazing delivery of recounting the plot of the the previous movie. And Kermit, you know, didn't you even watch this? And then um, <laughs> Professor Honeydew does have the the great well actually of because they keep saying we're doing a sequel. He's like, this is the seventh <laughs> sequel to the first movie we made. <laughs> uh. All the sequels that are pitched on this song are better than the actual sequel we got. Because uh, the chef pitches uh, this really dark, uh, black and white, I-, I guess it's supposed to be a riff on uh, European cinema, uh, maybe Bergman. Uh, there's a movie, like a well, a, a renowned uh, artsy movie where somebody plays uh, chess with death. And I think that's what it's referencing. Mm-hmm. Um uh, fuck, give me that. That would be something completely different. I've never seen that. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, is it Gonzo that pitches the sequel where uh, that would be just basically a porno with Camilla? I think he's pitching Gonzo with the wind. So I don't know if a porno would be the right way to describe it. <laughs> we all know where he's really pitching. This is where we get the introduction to Dominic Bad Guy, though. Bad Guy, I think is how he reframes it. Ricky Gervais comes in and just kind of gets in Kermit's ear where... The plot of the movie is going to be the Muppets go on a world tour. Uh, kinder times to Mr. Ricky Gervais. How do you feel about uh, Ricky Gervais? I, thought, I mean, I thought he was funny, and he's had some movies I really enjoy. I think Ghost Town's great. And oh, I think and you really- love, uh, what's it, the, the lying movie? Um, I don't love it. I enjoy it. The Invention oh. <laughs> of Lying. Yes. Yes, it's it's entertaining, and it's got a really good cast, and the, the, the premise of it's fascinating. Uh, and his stand-up back in the day was entertaining and i mean uh, is it david brent is that his name on Mm -hmm. the office i think ricky gervais is a fellow that got famous and kind of bought his i don't know you can say bought his own bought his (laughs) own hype and it it sounds so conceited coming from me you know a fucking nine to five or ham and egger but it's like you can say that he's a little smug, Alex. It's okay. Because <laughs> if well, you don't say it, I will. He bought his own hype, and then he started like tailoring his act and whole shtick to be what he thinks it should be now that he's famous and got famous doing what he's doing. And it all comes across very... Uh, it comes across of smelling one's own farts quite often. But that's extremely appropriate for this movie. Yeah, that's that's all all the Muppets are doing in this movie is smelling their own farts. They're 2011 farts, even. <laughs> They're just riding high off of it. What are your thoughts on Ricky Gervais? Uh, I'll give it the movie this. It's it's genius casting, like thematically. It's just he he brings he has this persona, and I'm pretty sure he had it back then in uh, 2014 already. I know he certainly he certainly has it now. So when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, he, He's funny, but he's an asshole, isn't he? And, and, and he knows it, and he enjoys it. So uh, it's good contrast as far as you know, pitching him with the you know the Muppets, which are just so naive and good and whatever. But I think also that he brings so much baggage in that sense that it makes them all look like idiots. Uh, I know they're supposed to be naive, like I just said, but there's a difference between being naive and just being completely clueless. And uh, 
how can you not know that he's the bad guy? <laughs> and it's not just about the last name, but just the fact that he doesn't come across as a nice person. You know what I mean? Like, why would they, if you're going to bring somebody, a character that's supposed to steal the Muppets' attention from Kermit, then you should have somebody that's at least as charismatic as Kermit, as, as fun, as, you know, lovable as Kermit. But Ricky Gervais, none of those things. So he's well cast as a villain, but he's terribly cast as uh, a plot device. Because I, I don't know about you, but I just didn't, I couldn't buy, I couldn't believe that the Muppets were so stupid to fall for his shit. As we discussed, they're not the brightest bunch to begin with, but yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, some of them, you know, should have picked up on it. Miss Piggy, at least. <laughs> Well, of course, in a cruel twist of fate, Animal's the only one that really figures out, picks it up here. And we got to give Walter something to do because he's a new character. So, you know, jumping ahead, he's the one that kind of stumbles onto it. Um, Were you surprised that that we still had Walter? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we see him at the beginning, you know, when he's like, it's the end of the last movie. But then we don't see him for a little bit. And then there's like, at some point, the movie cuts to him, like in a booth or something. I'm like, oh, Walter's still here? I would hope Walter's still here. When it's like, I think Gonzo says that later in the movie, he's like, we just spent a whole movie talking about Walter. Where'd he go? There's Rolf. (laughs) Rolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so Ricky Gervais, Dominic Bad Guy, is going to be their agent now to help take them on a world tour. On the other side of the globe, we see uh, what appears to be Kermit the Frog with a mole, but in fact is a different entity altogether. It's um, Constantine. Does he have a first name? I think Constantine is the first name. I mean, his last name is probably the Frog. Yeah, so Constantine, this you know, the world's greatest criminal, uh, escapes a, a Siberian gulag, and then he reports to uh, Dominic, who we learn there in cahoots. And their whole plan is they're going to steal the crown jewels from London, uh, and they're going to use this um, front, <laughs> not unlike a cash washing scheme. What does Marty Bird do? What's his front hustle? I mean, he has business. a few. He has a funeral home. The funeral home. He has a bar, a casino. <laughs> yes, the casino. That's what I was trying to think of. I was okay. the the riverfront casino. So that's uh, Constantine and Dominic's casino. Here is the Muppets World Tour. Uh, so they're off, and right away, you know, Kermit's in full director's mode, shooting down ideas. The two that are mentioned and like pleaded for are the indoor running of the bulls and Muppet Ladder. So, Julio, do you think the indoor running of the bulls and the Muppet ladder will come up at some point in the movie? <laughs> oh, no, there's no way. Surely they uh, they have more ideas than that. <laughs> I was... Uh, the bull thing pays off later in a way that's somewhat satisfying, and we'll get to that, but... The, On a very carnal level, it's yes. satisfying. <laughs> yes. But as far as uh, Muppet ladder, which is the, the climatic payoff, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but did, were you disappointed that that's what it turned out to be well it's just like uh, in the 2011 one when they bring up muppet man and it's like <laughs> muppet man's just them on each other's shoulders all right uh, and, but in this case you know there was already a previous movie so it's just recycling the same bit uh but yeah when muppet ladder actually comes to pass it's literally just a ladder made of muppets so <laughs> you can't really be disappointed because it's very literal at the same time it's like i eh, kind of wish there was more to it than that should be disappointed in yourself for expecting more. <laughs> what does Pete say on 30 Rock? In the words of my father, you deserve to be disappointed. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, I don't think that we've seen the Muppets 
post-success this way, and not necessarily post-success, but, you know, like, the behind the scenes of, uh, like, what is it like to put on a Muppet show when the plot hasn't started yet? You know what I mean? Like, here, mm-hmm. they just had a very successful telethon, and uh, it's not particularly endearing to see that they don't learn from their mistakes or from their successes. You would think that Kermit's suggestion to just kind of, like, stick to what they do well before developing, before trying new stuff. Like, that makes sense. And I, I yeah. would think, again, that anybody in that group would think, oh, yeah, we just, we literally just did this, I don't know, a couple nights ago, and it was a great success. So let's stick to the plan. But for some reason, I guess they go with what, what Ricky Gervais is saying, which, again, you know, I just don't see the charisma in Ricky Gervais to make everybody follow him like that. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a movie, I guess. And they're all just led by the money that's at hand. But there's so many... You know what the problem is, Alex? That there's there's more than one movie in Muppets Most Wanted. Because on one end, I just want to see... If you're going to give me the whole... Oh, this is happening right after the last one. Okay, so give me that movie. Give me the movie of what happens after they return. And I just want to see them do what Kermit said that they were going to do at the end of the last movie, which is rebuild from the ground up. Uh, we're going to start small and we're going to just develop our act again. I mean, that's that's a movie on its own. A quirky, behind-the-scenes showbiz kind of movie. But then, no, because the movie wants to be about a heist, about stealing the jewels and all that stuff, so it has to have the, the Ricky Gervais character, who's actually a, you know, a thief, and you have to have the the Constantine frog and all that stuff. So And the investigation, you know, with Phil Dunphy, so that's another movie. But it also wants to be a prison movie, so there's like a lot of time spent like in Russia later on. But it also wants to be about Kermit and Piggy's relationship which is something that I cannot believe that eight movies in, we're still beating that drum. Like, it should have been resolved by now. But it's still, we're still hitting those same beats. Uh, so there's just too much going on. And I wish that the movie had just settled and decided to stick with at least, with just one thing and, and developed it well. It's got an identity crisis, you say? I mean, that is, that is a nice way of putting it. So Kermit's unsure about this whole thing. Uh, he's unsure about Dominic bad guy. He doesn't get a good vibe from him. And, you know, he's showing up and he's like, we're sold out tonight, you know, and the press is going to be here. And Kermit's back in his dressing room. He's like, we haven't been sold out for 30 years. And uh, so he's not sure what to make of it. He goes on a walk to clear his head. He comes across Constantine, who slaps this like super glued mole onto his face. Uh, you know, it's a master plan. He's going to frame Kermit for the crimes that he committed. And there's wanted posters everywhere around. You know, they look identical, just the mole. So now the, he tips off the townspeople who sound for the authorities. The authorities led by Till Schweiger, Mark from SLC Punk, for any of our fellow SLC Punk fans out there. Um, throw him in the back of a paddy wagon and take him off to the Siberian gulag all the while we see in the shadows. Constantine applying some green makeup to his mole. And uh, one of his things he does is he uses Kermit's lines throughout this movie, but in a really evil, ominous way. For example, in the beginning, he when he blows up, uh, while he's escaping and blows up part of the gulag, he says, it's time to light the lights. And then <laughs> in this portion here, he says, it's not easy being mean. Your Russian accent is actually better than Constantine's Russian accent. That's how bad his accent is. <laughs> bleeding into real talk. I I don't know. It was a decision uh, by the... It was uh, Matt Vogel who did Constantine. It sounded like someone trying to do Kermit doing a Russian accent, whereas they should have just done a straight Russian accent. Um, it reminded me, and this is, of course, going to be lost on you, but hopefully 
some of our listeners have watched the new Black Widow movie, and uh, the new Black Widow is Russian. Yeah, it's, she's played by uh, Florence Pugh, doing a Russian accent, and now it's it's just forever in my mind. Constantine the Frog is going to be <laughs> just melded together with. Uh, Florence Pugh playing Black Widow because they both sound the same, the same type of Russian accent. Uh, neither is good. Oh, I, I just hope you had fun with your Black Widow movie. I, I didn't. The movie's not good. The Russian accent is one of the reasons why. <laughs> oh, really? I, I really, I mean, it would be amazing if somebody, internet, do your thing. Just have uh, clips of Florence Pugh as Black Widow, but dub the lines from uh, Constantine in, in this movie. I just want to see Florence Pugh like walking away from an explosion, going like, "It's time to light the lights." <laughs> it's uh, Allison Brie and Glow. I'm blanking on what her character when she's the Russian character, what her name is, but it's just a really hammed up Pugh the American that type of thing. <laughs> who has a better Who has a better Russian accent? Here? Zoya the Destroyer. That's her name. Uh, who has a better Russian accent? Constantine or uh, Liz Lemon? Tina Fey. <laughs> yeah, Tina Fey all the way. So Constantine shows up and he has now assumed the role of Kermit the Frog and he is there to say he's Kermit. Everyone believes he is just because he looks that way. And they say his voice is a little different. And uh, Dominic's quick to explain that's because he has a cold animal, though, being, you know, a dog, sniffs him <laughs> out and <clears throat> realizes this isn't the real guy. And he bites him and <laughs> Constantine's, you know, taking mental notes of uh, Animal. Get another musical number where we get the hierarchy of the dynamic duo of Constantine and Dominic Bad Guy. It's called I'm Number One and just, you know, asserting that Dominic is number two. Not not asserting, you know, demanding, saying if this is going to work, this is how it's going to be. And there's some line in it, too. He's like, I believe in equality as long as you get less than me. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I'm number one. You're number two. You're lucky to be number two, not number three. I can see by the look in your eye. You want to get a bigger piece of the pie. One. I would say, and you probably agree, that uh, Ricky Gervais dancing is not quite up there with uh, Kermit's, for one. No. <laughs> I would say uh, the only... It's not up there with Jason Siegel or, like, you know, from the 2011 one. Amy yeah. Adams, any of the big names in that that busted a move. Fucking Mickey Rooney. I think he just kind of shrugs <laughs> his shoulders to the beat of the music, but Ricky Gervais ain't there. Yeah, and it's just that, that kind of a cheap way around it where they have the characters say oh i don't like dancing as if that justifies the fact that you're giving us a lackluster dance number if you're gonna have everybody around gervais like hamming it up with accents and with just like stupidity then just have him ham it up when he's dancing but instead you can tell that it's not it's not the character it's like ricky gervais himself who doesn't want to really give it all in this uh in this number I'm pretty sure the shots like of his feet are not him actually oh, tap no. dancing. Yeah. There's no way that he can tap dance. I agree. I'm just saying. Just bringing it to the to the forefront. Happy people tap dance. That's it. <laughs> He's not a happy person. We do get, though, Constantine trying to go out and do the, it's the Muppet show. But as soon as he sees all the people, <laughs> he faints and falls off the sign. I, I completely forgot about that. I thought that was pretty funny. He's supposed to be like this world-renowned criminal, but he can't handle public speaking. 
the shot of him falling from the you know from the stage at the top and just hitting the the stage at the bottom hitting the floor and everybody in the audience gasps that was almost as shocking as kermit the real kermit getting hit by the taxi in uh, muppets take manhattan so the world tour is laid out amongst some of the more globally famous cities and more um with higher notoriety for museums and historical landmarks and things of that nature because dominic and constantine are there to uh begin stealing you know art jewels headstones um head sculpts is what i meant to say and, and you know just priceless artifacts from all around the world and this first one here they steal some paintings and you know the muppets are on to the next city this is where we're introduced to uh, our interpol agent jean-pierre napoleon and the cia agent sam eagle uh, jean-pierre napoleon played of course by phil dunphy himself ty burrell and it turns into a game of one-upsmanship. And Julio, just right away, the chemistry between Ty Burrell and Sam Eagle. I don't know about you, but this became a movie of every time they weren't on screen, I wanted them back and didn't feel like they were around enough. Yes. Uh, this is what the movie should have been. This is like, or at least the, the spin-off that we should have gotten. Uh, it's kind of, just to go back to our most recent movie, it's a little bit like what the guards should have been. You know, you have the stereotypical American law enforcer, and then you have the stereotypical European law enforcer. But there's no racism. It's just jokes about other aspects of the culture, right? The running joke, and it's the most successful gag in the entire movie, is uh, that Ty Burrell has uh, an European schedule, which means that he gets an eight-hour lunch break and... Uh, he has like eight weeks paid vacation and he's he just sticks to a very laid back routine, even though he's he's on a case, he's working a case. Or it's like Sam the Eagle is just like used to like the technology and the the fast pace of a uh, of America. And uh Yeah, but I don't think this joke succeeds in the way you think it does. It just shows how anywhere else living is better than America. Uh, well, yes, but what I'm saying is that that's what the guard. Not anywhere been. else, but like Europe and more evolved countries, as far as the workforce goes. Where, like, I work at my job. I work with people uh, who live in Ireland and parts of Europe where they they have to take three months vacation or two months leave uh, during the year for what's called recharge. Like <laughs> fucking Norway and countries like that that have mandatory, you know, summertime off. Uh, so the joke is here. It's like, ha ha, look at those damn socialists. And from my <laughs> vantage point, I'm just like, God damn, dude, having a six hour lunch break. Uh, and I just love how they find like a breakthrough in the case at some point, And he just checks his watch. He's like, okay, my day's done. <laughs> You're right, actually. Yeah. Cause the movie paints Sam Eagle as being in the right. And this lazy European <laughs> is not being able to keep up with this. With the job, he's not being lazy. He's he's adhering to the guidelines. He just has a he lives in a country with a better workforce. Yeah, yeah. But but my point was just that this is what the what the guard should have been, and instead, you know, it it happens to be the one successful part of Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, now I am confused, Alex. Isn't Sam Eagle a Muppet? Shouldn't he be part of the show? Mm, he's part of the Muppet verse, but I don't think. This line is it's too blurry. I, yeah. I I swear that in 2011 he's part of the show. He I think he's part of the you know when they're doing the entrance and yes. you have people walking from both sides. He's in one he of those windows. 
I'm pretty sure he goes on stage during Rainbow Connection too, when everyone else does. Oh, he's he's in the barbershop uh, quartet too with Jack Black. Yep, in the you're 2011. Right. Okay, why is he acting here? Like, <laughs> like he doesn't know the Muppets. Like, uh, like they're just these weirdos. This show, uh, these showbiz weirdos. He's acting like like he's a Muppet, but he's not with the Muppets. And this movie has gone to a lot of work to connect itself to the previous movie. So. How does this track? Like, and it's not the first, or it's not the only example of bad continuity. I think throughout the Muppet <laughs> mythology, but it, it, this one in particular, kind of like annoyed me because he's a big character. Like, uh, you know, in in this movie, I think it is that other than maybe Muppet Treasure Island, I think this is the most screen time that Sam Eagle gets, and uh, the entire time I'm thinking they're your friends. <laughs> Why are you acting like you don't know them? Yeah, that's a really good point. Hadn't even thought of that. So now that's going to change everything. (laughs) (laughs) To bridge my mental gap, we get a Professor X cameo here. James McAvoy comes in, and like we said earlier, you got to pay attention. You'll miss it. It's not one of those where they like linger on his face, like when fucking Chloe Moretz shows up later. It's just like right in her face. (laughs) He's a UPS man. So at the Siberian Gulag, things are not going well for Kermit. He arrives, and they think he's Constantine until he says thank you, and it's a dead giveaway. Uh, and they almost go to, I guess, kill him. But the the warden on the grounds there is Nadia, played by Tina Fey, who, my God, <laughs> I could speak respectably about her in this movie. Um, what, what a lineup of prisoners, though, man. We got Danny Trejo, Ray Liotta, Tom Hiddleston. Eventually, Josh Groban. <laughs> it's a big reveal. One of them is from Flight of the Concords. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Jermaine Clement. Mm. That's the problem, actually. Uh, because Ray Liotta and uh, Danny Trejo. He has Trejo. no lines. <laughs> Danny Trejo has lines. Yeah. <laughs> Liotta is just there. for. I mean, both him and Trejo are there mainly for, for the easy joke, which is like, oh, it's Ray Liotta. You know, they're the chainsaw. <laughs> it's the chainsaw it's Ray Liotta it's Danny Trejo but they have no business being in this movie I mean I love them in other movies but here most of the of their sequences require them to sing and dance and they're not singers or dancers and that becomes painfully obvious when you put them right next to Jermaine Clement who is a singer and a dancer and usually they're flanking him. So you have the guy from Flight of the Concords right in the middle, and then Leona to his left and Trejo to the right. And you can tell the difference, you know, between somebody that's used to performing musically and two guys are there just for the joke because because we, that's not what we would expect from them. So for the sake of an easy gag, I think that they, uh, they kind of screwed up the musical numbers in the Gulag, which should be a lot more... Uh, spectacular than they are. I mean, Tina Fey is doing all she can, and so is uh, Jermaine Clement, and then the the other background dancers. But you kind of have Leota and Trejo there dragging things down. The little person in the lineup is Dylan Postel, also known as Hornswoggle of WWE fame. His opening character in the WWE, his name was Little Bastard, so that that can tell you. <laughs> where they were at at that point in time i can't i can't remember if it was for this or for the 2011 movie that the muppets were on monday night raw they guest hosted monday night raw it would have been 2011 because cm punk was still there there's um some awesome pictures of them with wrestlers and stuff and uh 
they did like a backstage segment where Gonzo, you know, got beat up by some of the heels. Um, <laughs> and then I sure want to see that. Well, in like a comedic way of like he tried to start a fight with them and they like they don't like beat him up. They, you know, do the thing where they tie his arms in a knot. And, um, the main thing I remember was one of the bad guys was bullying Beaker and <laughs> then Seamus, who's this big, tall, burly fucker with he's like this Irish dude with red hair and he spikes it up and uh, he like runs the bad guy off from bullying Beaker and then he like turns to Beaker and he. He's like, I Beak. The, in the, he starts like talking to him about the last family reunion, and Beaker's just like nodding affirmatively and like me 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 me. Good stuff. Uh, but this fella here, Hornswoggle Dylan Postal, he he grew up a huge Muppets fan. I, I don't really, I'm not like a big fan of his or anything, but I remember listening to an interview about him. I think he said like he just didn't believe it. He might have, like broken down when he found he found out he was going to be in this because the Muppets Aww. meant so much to him. So that's cool. That's uh, that's stuff you like to hear. He's a better dancer than uh, Leota and Trejo. Yeah, man. Of all the things I'd want to ask Ray Leota, this might be one of them. Like, <laughs> was this like a tax thing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's also a big Muppet uh, fan. Well, and also the thing is, he's fucking Ray Liotta. He was in Goodfellas, and throughout this, one, he has no lines, and then two, just like <laughs> they're continually diminishing him because the dude from Flight of the Concords, always front and center in the prisoners, and then even at one point in the movie, they called Danny Trejo by his name because Danny Trejo is so <laughs> iconic that you know he he has to be mentioned by name. I don't think they ever address Ray Liotta's character. Yeah, this is what you get. Miss Poogie is in in the Gulag. Yes, how? thank you. <laughs> how did that, how did that happen? Because they needed to call back to the 2011 one. It hadn't been long enough. And they couldn't get Chris Cooper. <laughs> yeah, or uh, Dave Grohl to be animal. Tina Fey starts us off with the big house. It's the musical number's introduction to the Siberian Gulag. It's the big house, the perfect getaway. Welcome into the big house, you'll never get away. It's no Hilton on a high but you will have a riot. Oh. So please enjoy your stay. Here's the dining room, the menu is minimal. What the cook does to the food is criminal. And she tells Kermit, you know, you're going to be here for a while. She tells him that night, you know, your friends... She doesn't believe him that he has these friends and they're going to come save him. Uh, they then steal a joke from The Simpsons, uh, in which Tina Fey says, lights out. And then she trips and falls and says, lights <laughs> on. That's from the episode where Bart and Lisa both go to military camp. <laughs> it's like the exact same joke. The commander, or cadet, or whoever is just like, lights off. And then you hear it like, oh, lights on. And then it cuts to this guy limping out of the room and he gets to the end of the wall and he's like, all right, lights off. It's 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 not any funnier with a Russian accent. As South Park immortally pointed out. Yeah, dude, the Simpsons have been around forever. Of course they've done everything. <laughs> Back with the Mappets, Dominic tells uh, Kermit that, you know, Piggy's starting to become a bit distant. And he basically tells him, you know, you need to, write things with her so uh to make sure you know she doesn't get any wiser so we get the constantine musical number where he sings this song of about i can give you what you want and you know 
uh, it's very Saturday Night Fever esque, except it's a POV shot with the camera and just a long song about him. Anything you want, he'll give it to you. I can give you anything you want, give you anything you need. I'll make your dreams come true, give you anything you want, fulfill your fantasies. I'll make your dreams come true. You want a unicorn, I'll give it to you. You want a puppy dog, I'll give it to you. You want an ice cream cone, I'll give it to you. You want a marker zone, I'll give it to you. You want a set and peel, I'll give it to you. you wanna... Dude, this is the... I know we've we've kind of... Uh, fielded some criticism about the way that the franchise treats Miss Piggy in certain installments, but this has to be the worst out of all of them uh, as far as just how they sell out her character. Because Piggy, at her best, which is usually, you know, when you think of Miss Piggy, what do you think of? Oh, it's like she's smart, she's uh, strong-willed, and she she can take care of herself. And in this movie... She is just as dumb as all the other Muppets because she can't tell that this is not Kermit. And then she is driven primarily, almost exclusively, by her desire to get married to Kermit. And that's another bundle of weird continuity that it's just, it, that is a mess. But as uh, we've already covered on here, we thought they got married, or it was said that they got married in Muppets Take Manhattan. Right. And then in, by the time the 2011 one came along, they were separated or some shit. And then, yeah, we're back to square one here. Right. But so what happened in the 2011 one? Because uh, in the 2011 one, they have, there's a picture from their wedding. So that would indicate that the wedding happened. Mm. So did they separate? Did they divorce? But whatever the case, in this movie, they're talking like they've never been married. Like it's just going to happen for the first time. Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't make much sense now. It doesn't. <laughs> Sam Eagle, Ray Liotta, the wedding of Miss Piggy and Kermit. Just all these weird uh, holes in the Matrix, glitches. And there's black cats walking all over the Muppet franchise. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the Miss Piggy character here, I mean, she just... Basically, she's bought by uh, Constantine offering her whatever she wants. And that's it. That's that's enough. That's that's all it takes to calm her down. And then she's uh, she's no longer mad at him. The rest of the crew shows up in Piggy's cart after the song, kind of asking about what the show's going to be. And this is where Constantine, you know, Kermit, just kind of he literally says, "Who cares?" He tells them they can do whatever they want on the show, and mm, why not? Who cares? <laughs> Calls Gonzo Zongo, and still none of them are on to the you know hip to the jive yet. Uh, so they're doing a show in Madrid that night so that Constantine and Dominic can steal some more priceless artifacts getting they're on the hunt for the you know the being led to these crown jewels and in, in London um Alex do you know your, uh do you know where Madrid is like what country it's in Spain yeah do you know where Salma Hayek is from I guess not where's she from Mexico <laughs> Well, this whole thing is just culturally appropriating. The fucking <laughs> the mech, uh, the Muppets are singing in Spanish, and they all have like sombreros on, and <laughs> are playing, you know, very cliched style. Not mariachi music quite, but you know, Rolf's down there clapping, and uh, they're using um, fuck. What are those guitars with uh, nylon strings? Oh God, I don't know. 
Spanish guitars. That's what they are. <laughs> and uh, Gonzo, when he blows his trumpet, it's just a soccer a ball. Soccer ball comes out. Yes. And they go, go. God, how did they not get more shit for this? You know, <laughs> Licorice Pizza took the, the brunt of the Muppets Most Wanted uh, fallout. <laughs> so the indoor running of the Bulls happens, and of course it's a disaster, minus the fact that we get to see Salma Hayek in this uh, outfit that I, I ain't mad at. Um, <laughs> but you have Salma Hayek there, and it feels like there, you could have done more with her. I mean, it's uh, here comes the booms, Salma Hayek. You don't waste her on just... Uh, a one-minute gag with Gonzo, with Zongo, even. Yeah, and there's no twist to it. Like, the indoor running of the Bulls is just that. Like, I thought it would be like a play on words or something, but nope. The show's a disaster, yet it still gets a standing ovation and rave reviews in the local newspaper. Uh, Walter, at this point, is starting to see through the cracks here and realizes something is definitely wrong. He's also uh, struggling to remain relevant in this movie. God cut into the chase they they show him struggling to stay asleep and his uh I, I did appreciate he had his kermit watch from the the first movie we get a cameo from the guy who played dwight in the uk version of the office he wasn't dwight i i feel so fucking xenophobic saying that it was the uk version of my american show gareth is the, the character's go. name on on the office it was Ricky Gervais' contribution to the casting. We get some more with Ty Burrell, Phil Dunphy, and Sam Eagle. We get the interrogation song, running down all the Muppets and asking them, you know, where they were because they think they're on the case here. They think they they have uh, the crook um, or crooks, and they come to the conclusion that the Muppets are too stupid to do anything <laughs> like this to pull off any heists like that. Oh ah, ah, ah. I can do an Elvis impression. Thank you, Muppets. No more questions. They didn't. No, they didn't. There's no way they did the crime. They couldn't. They're too stupid. They're not a criminal mastermind. We do not know who did it, but we know who didn't do it. So, so we, we know who didn't, didn't do it. Yes, we know who didn't do it. They're incapable of being culpable. Ty Burrell still, he thinks it's the lemur. He, he has this theory that it's this the number two criminal in the world that he's after. Uh, but the musical number here is probably one of the better ones because, again, it's driven by the story with Napoleon and Sam Eagle. Yeah, much like in uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol, where I was kind of delighted to see uh, Waldorf and Statler get a song. This is, I'm pretty sure, the only time that Sam Eagle has had a song of his own. Uh, so that was that was good. Need more of that. Um, how do you feel about Ty Burrell flirting with Miss Piggy? I dude, I've told you that's one of my favorite bits in the Muppets is how everyone thinks Piggy's so hot. I fucking love that. That's one of my favorite parts in Muppets Take Manhattan is when she's getting catcalled. Uh, not that she's getting catcalled because <laughs> right. she eventually like tells those guys to bug off, but just the idea that she's, you know, the siren on the water, the temptress, the Ashley Graham, the fucking Carrie Washington. I don't know who who the hot thing is now, but it, I, I really like that. Yeah, it, it's uh, it goes nowhere though. The gate. It builds you up. You think that there's there's some actual sexual tension, and they they never cross paths again, which is disappointing. But yeah, yet another reminder that this movie would have been better off just focusing on on these two. Kermit has several failed attempts of getting out of the gulag, uh, with uh, homages to Shawshank Redemption along the way. Upon catching him, I think a third or a fourth time, 
uh, Nadia Tina Fey orders Kermit to help organize the the Gulag's annual talent show. It's this play they put on. And, the, and at this point, it's becoming apparent to the audience, too, that she's got a, a crush on Kermit. <laughs> Give me that movie. Yeah. So is it the same for you of when it comes to women attracted to Kermit? No, that's not as funny. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm not laughing. Why? I, I guess there's kind of the joke like in uh, The Other Guys where all the really hot women are attracted to... Uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah, and everyone's like, what the fuck? But in this, no. It's just it's not the same. The The idea of Piggy being like the bee's knees is... Because also it's the... I guess you wouldn't call that like a, a pun per se, but the idea that a pig is gross, you know? And in this universe, this female pig is the most beautiful, you know, woman on earth type thing. Whereas with this, it's just kind of like, okay... I mean, it pays off because I just love like how Tina Fey is smitten with him. <laughs> she has a shrine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it doesn't hit me the same way comedically. A fucking out of nowhere cameo that I did not remember of Diddy. He's playing uh, <laughs> craps. On Who is the, he playing the... with? Pepe. They're both in white tuxes. <laughs> Speaking of out of nowhere cameos, we didn't mention it, but uh, double Academy Award winner Christoph Waltz was in one of their earlier shows. He Uh, did the waltz. He did the waltz. Christoph Waltz does the waltz. Before I forget, in the show coming up, the ballerina, the woman who comes out to do that, that's somebody, right? Yeah, uh, Shosha Ronan. Um, Oh, she was in Little Women. Little Women. Yeah, she's Joe in Little Women. She's Ladybird and Ladybird. She is Atonement in Atonement. <laughs> she's Nell in Nell. <laughs> I think she's Hannah in Hannah, actually. <laughs> God bless. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, Walter smartens up Fozzie uh, about what's going on. Uh, the happenstance of, you know, some guacamole getting on a newspaper. and <laughs> It shows how dumb these fuckers are that they can't just see past a mole because they cover up the mole like, oh, it's Kermit. And they, you know, move their finger, or wipe off the guacamole, ah, that type of thing. So they go back into Constantine's cart and, you know, figure out what's going on pretty quickly. And Animal's there. Uh, he helps them out. Uh, they get into a sticky situation because Constantine catches them and he tells Fozzie, you have walked your last walker. Uh, and <laughs> Animal tackles him and takes him out. And then they jump out of the train onto one that's um, passing them. And so he tells Dominic that the he says the, the little one, the bear, and the dog are onto us. I think it's weird that they keep calling Animal the dog when Rolf is right there. It's the Goofy and Pluto thing. It's, like, <laughs> it's true. So after telling... Dominic, that the the three are on to them. He asks, you know, what we're going to do. And he says, just go on as normal. We get the address where Constantine tells uh, the rest of the gang that Walter and Fonzie have left the Mappets. Uh, <laughs> and he says, and you know the expression, the show must continue in a timely fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where uh, Rolf says, you know, makes the meta comment of, oh, Walter left? We just spent the whole movie making him part of the Muppets. And then we get this might as well just be a cameo. We get a cameo from Rizzo, who was 
pretty much absent from the 2011 movie. And here shows up kind of to complain that he was not in the 2011 movie, <laughs> kind of implying that Walter took his spot. And that reminded me, like, yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the evolution of uh, Gonzo's partners, so to speak, in the franchise is really weird, right? He starts with Camilla, and then at some point, they swapped Camilla for Rizzo. And then he, Rizzo was his buddy for a few movies. Uh, I guess that was like the Brian Henson contribution. But then in the James Bobbin movies, Rizzo is gone. Like he's, like I said, I don't think he does anything. Like I, I'm not even sure you see him in the 2011 movie. And here he shows up and you think that he's going to stick around for the third act. But then you don't see him again. I mean, you cannot see him in the background with, his other, with the other rats. But how weird is it to just minimize a character that was so important in so many of the other movies? What does James Bobbin have against Rizzo the Rat? And I'm not the biggest Rizzo fan, but I felt that it was weird that uh, they basically write him out of the franchise and and they could have given him a role here because you could have just not had Walter. You know, I don't think that anybody was expecting Walter to come back in this movie. And so the role of the character that figures things out, that could have been Rizzo. Mm-hmm. And the, the trio that goes to rescue Kermit... Uh, from the Gulag could have been Rizzo, Fozzie, and Animal instead of Walter, Fozzie, and Animal. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't love Rizzo, but I'll take Rizzo over Walter because I have zero connection with Walter. They're in Dublin for the show, and Constantine and Dominic almost get caught. They're stealing a, a locket from the bank, uh, and they get back just in time. Constantine runs on stage and proposes to Miss Piggy, just causing a whole lot of confusion as to what's going on here. Uh, but she says yes, and so the idea is they're going to do a last show in London in which they get married, and then that'll be that. The Muppets will go on their way. And uh, But, of course, again, the whole plan behind this is that's where the royal jewels are that they're going to steal, so this is going to be the crescendo of their master plan, the, the coup de gras. This is where we get the Miss Piggy's big musical number uh, about, you know, how can this be right when it feels so wrong type thing. <laughs> but the... The big kicker is I completely forgot Celine Dion comes in and has a pretty good sense of humor about herself for this. So how can something so right feel so wrong tonight? After all we've been through, why do I feel I don't know you? Something so right feels so wrong inside. I get something so good, let me feel so bad. And uh, it's not just Piggy; it becomes a, a song that's shared throughout the the whole group of the Muppets. Uh, what do you think about seeing Celine Dion here? It was it's a pretty stylized segment of the film. Yeah, she's black and white. She's all glamour, and uh, she gets more screen time and more lines than Ray Liotta, which is a constant <laughs> for every other cameo in this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean she's. She's still in Dion, so it's exactly. Honestly, my thought was, oh, Alex will like this at least, because you're, uh, you're. It's gonna make you think <laughs> of Titanic, and what else is there to say? I think it's funny because they were the entire movie. Like Miss Piggy has been going on and on about wanting to say uh, to sing Celine Dion songs. Actually, I think she might be. Isn't she singing a Celine Dion song when? Uh, yeah, she's singing uh, when he interrupts. She's singing. My heart will go on. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> of course, they had to go with the most obvious Celine Dion. Uh, song in her catalog but uh yeah she's all right i mean it's not it's not unexpected i mean we were talking about the the 
P. Diddy cameo. Like, that was surprising. Celine Dion showing up is more like, oh, well, okay, I guess. That's fine. I don't really like the song either because it has that weird fantasy sequence where Piggy's imagining growing old with Kermit. And <laughs> he's got the big bags under his eyes and shit. <laughs> yes. I didn't need to see that. That is just, I don't want to think about the Muppets growing old. Whether I'm enjoying the movie or not, that is not a concept I want entertained in my head. And uh, it was it was a little bit like the like the beginning of Up, where you you know you just see them, they're happy, they get married, you see them have kids, and then you see them grow old. I was like, are we gonna see them die? That's just it seemed like that was a natural progression. Then thankfully, Celine Dion showed up again, and the the song ended. Uh, but yeah, overall, that's probably the weakest musical number in the movie. Back at the Gulag, this is where we get this fucking. Three piece in a soda of cameos. We get a uh, Chloe Moretz cameo, followed by Stanley Tucci, followed by uh, when we were talking about this off air. I said Thor's brother at the same time Julio said Loki, but it's Tom Hiddleston. Uh, and more impressively, he doesn't even have a line or anything. He's just, uh, is it is Capo? <laughs> yes. And he tries to, like, he breaks free of his, his chains and binds and he tries to run away, and Tina Fey shocks him with a. Stun gun. It's good stuff. Animal, Fozzie, and Walter arrive and they help Kermit break out of the gulag along with the rest of the prisoners. In record timing, Kermit, Fozzie, and Walter make it to London for wedding day. And uh, my note here says this is great, but too long. Two hours is a bit much for a Muppet movie. Uh, <laughs> they overhear, or they don't really overhear. They're in the room, and when Constantine reveals the plan, is they're going to steal the crown jewels, and then he's going to fucking kill Miss Piggy. <laughs> uh, get a cameo from Usher as an Usher. Ha 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 ha. Uh, right when Kermit and Fozzie go to save the day, this is where Sam and Napoleon show back up, and they think they have their men, uh, so they handcuff them to uh, Napoleon's Interpol car, which is basically like a wind-up toy. It's a good gag. <laughs> and then Napoleon goes on vacation. Yes, yes, his vacation begins. So the wedding's underway. As Kermit and Fozzie break free, it's this back and forth of Kermit and Napoleon being replaced and speaking to Miss Piggy. Uh, we get a cameo from Hobo Joe. From uh, I don't know if he's supposed to be Hobo Joe. Zach Galifianakis. He's cleaned up. Uh, if it's uh, Hobo Joe, I would. Yeah, I would imagine he's gone from L.A. to London. So <laughs> they don't they don't let anyone get on those flights. You know, <laughs> with both Kermit's up in front, everyone's able to figure out pretty quickly who the real one is. And Miss Piggy, you know, specifically makes the determination of which one it is. Uh, Constantine attempts to blow them up. That plan is foiled. So he leads a getaway where he takes Miss Piggy hostage. Uh, Kermit, of course, chasing after them, and they get into this chopper. We see Ricky Gervais dressed up as a lemur. This is where he reveals that you know he's been trying to establish his own reputation as a criminal as the lemur, and this is where he says he's going to turn on Constantine, and Constantine's just like, you're so dumb. This is where I turn on you, and uh, throws him out of the, the chopper. They begin to take off. The Muppets are there to attempt to save the day, and this is where we get the, I guess, the payoff of Muppet Ladder. Yep. Which is just uh, 
it's more like a Muppet chain, but it's still mm-hmm. pretty uh, underwhelming. I, like, how is this an act? Because originally in the movie it was pitched as an act, like something that they did during the show, and then Kermit was like, "Oh, it never, it's never worked." But so Muppet Ladder is just them doing that on stage. Yeah, what was the what was the plan, <laughs> Phil? What was like the intended payoff here? <laughs> Like here, it makes sense because they're trying to stop a helicopter, so they they have something to grab onto. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe Muppet Ladder on the show on stage is just them going from the from the stage all the way up to the where uh, Waldorf and Statler are, <laughs> just <laughs> grabbing them. Muppet Ladder. They pull down the plane and they're able to apprehend Constantine. It seems like it's going to be a happy ending until Nadia shows up uh, and she's going to take Kermit back to the gulag uh, until she sees that, you know, how important he is. Because Walter offers to go back with him. He's like, well, if you're going to take him, you're going to have to take me too. And then they do the the Rudy thing of, you know, yeah, me too, me too, me too. And that doesn't sound good anymore. Um, <laughs> they do the Spartacus thing. I am Spartacus. <laughs> Take me to the gulag. Yeah, exactly. And they, I believe that I am. You know, they, they lay their jerseys <laughs> down on the desk, and she realizes now that these people need him. These Muppets need him, and they they depend on him. So she drops all the charges, despite the fact that he led the escape of all the other inmates as well. It wasn't just him. <laughs> Danny Trejo is murdering people all his all the way from Russia to America. This part is awesome, though, because when Tina Fey shows up, Nadia, she's like, "You led the biggest mass escape." And, uh, you know, the history of the gulag. And you didn't say goodbye. And then Piggy goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like she could just pick up on the subtext there. It was wonderful. (laughs) Um, So Kermit says in appreciation the to wrap up the the Muppets World Tour, they have one last show they're going to do. And it's going to be at the, the gulag in Siberia. And then Julio, as if the idea... Of them, the bad guy just being evil Kermit didn't seem like they had run out of ideas by this point. <laughs> they just use the opening song from a movie that's 30 years old again. As the closing song. Together again, again. Gee, it's good to be together again, again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on Together again, again Now we're here and there's no need remembering when Cause no feeling feels like that feeling Together again Again, again, again I could not believe that we were ending on a recycled song We've talked about Together Again uh, previously and how it, it played again in this movie. But in my mind, I thought that Together Again Again was the opening of this movie, which would have been a little more forgivable. But instead, it's the end. It's a final musical number. And it's just it's it's a retread. It's, a, it's Together Again with a new coat of paint. It's pretty underwhelming, even uh, maybe a little in poor taste. Almost as much in poor taste as... Uh, Kermit referring to Piggy as my woman. <laughs> Did you catch that at, at the when they're the helicopter after she beats up uh, Constantine? No, I didn't. Yeah, he goes, "What a woman!" And then Kermit grabs her and goes, "My woman." <laughs> Since when? <laughs> this is it. It just sounds so weird coming from Kermit to get so possessive 
in that you know in that sense of Miss Piggy. He's always been pretty gentle about it. So even the joke here is that she figured out who the real Kermit was because he was the one that was kind of tripping over his words whenever she asked if if he would marry her. So it was weird that they decided to give that that kind of like underlining to that that moment of oh you know it's the climax and the big turning point in Kermit's character is that he can finally claim Miss Piggy as his property. <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> He finally knows how to mansplain things to women. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Together again takes us out and we get the the end. We get the Mike Wazowski joke there where Nadia, it's your solo. Boom. Right to the end. <laughs> and then the fucking fireworks show where it's all the Muppets made out of fireworks that feels like something you would see at Disney, but I've never heard of that happening. That'd be awesome. Uh, and then... Uh, and then Fozzie recycles uh Ferris Bueller joke at the very end of the credits. What does he say? It's like, uh, the movie's over, Ma. You can go home now. Oh, I didn't catch that. Not even a waka waka. He just, he just straight up lifted the joke from the 80s. Waka waka. <laughs> yeah, that was Muppets Most Wanted. The movie that killed the Muppets again. Yeah, it's we haven't seen the. They've disappeared since. They have been banished to the Siberian gulag of uh, purgatory with Disney since. So, will they return? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that when and if they return, uh, we'll have a running subplot about Miss Piggy and Kermit, and how we don't know if they're ever going to get married. She'll be mad that he hasn't proposed, and he'll be nervous about proposing. If I've learned something about the Muppets throughout the Muppetthon is that they are uh, the ultimate will they one day couple to... Uh, they call ex- that out in the movie. <laughs> That's right. The ultimate will they won't they have answered with an emphatic they will. Is that the newsman so, that says that? or No, it just, it's just yeah. like a regular person, right? No, it's the, it's the news reporter. Okay. Yeah. Eight movies is way too long to drag that shit out. Especially when you answered it in the third movie. <laughs> And you just kept going. But anyway, that was Contrarian's Corner. I think I'm ready for real talk. Absolutely. Let's move on to it. Try to form our own opinions of why this is the last we've heard of the Muppets uh, this century. It's El Muppet Show with our very special guest, Salma Hayek. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. It is February, our first episode of February. Brand new content, a whole new set of things 
popping up on our Patreon throughout the month of February. New QVRs, new quick video reviews. Uh, this time they're being assigned to us from a fresh new patron, Jordan Mans. He's assigned me the animated movie Wolf Walkers, available on Apple TV. And he's giving you, Alex, the movie The Guilty, uh, available on Netflix. Hour and 30 minutes. I'm already in. Um, also, exclusively on our Patreon channel, a pick from Chas Fisher. Last time he picked for the Patreon channel, he did uh, the 2019 Little Women. Mm-hmm. This time, he pivoted to what I'm assuming is a zombie movie. It's called Undead. Uh, I don't know anything about that, but it sounds like, at least it sounds like it should be different from Little Women. <laughs> then, of course, a brand new set of uh, cutting room floor segments, uh, with all the stuff that doesn't make it into our regular episodes, as well as uh, our pre-recording notes, and also the next stop in our Rock Cena journey that we've been taking over the last couple months. Alex, what is next for us uh, when it comes to Rock Cena on Patreon? So the official part three will be coming next month, uh, but this month we'll have some goodies. Uh, a retrospective of WB Films, uh, once again, up there with the WBF and XFL in terms of things Vince thought might be his gateway out of actually having to do professional wrestling for a living. Uh, we'll talk about the the films that came along with WB Film. We'll talk about the uh, movies that came out of WB Films. I, I still think they make some every once in a while, and also some of the stars they were inexplicably able to land for some of their films uh, in addition to that also uh, julio and myself will be providing commentary on uh one of the rock's most famous matches against triple h from backlash 2000 as well as one of john cena's most famous matches versus umaga at the 2007 royal rumble i look forward to uh Discussing those with you, Julio, the Rock Triple H one from 2000, you'll get your fix of uh, Vince McMahon because he's the the whole McMahon family is heavily involved in that match. Finally, finally, I've been waiting. I've watched probably about, I don't know, 10 hours of wrestling and wrestling related stuff by now. Not a single appearance from Vince McMahon. <laughs> don't oh, he'll be in full uh, Vince form here, so you'll be good to go. Okay, good. Good Good things come to those who wait. <laughs> and then, of course, we also have Contrarians After Hours. Uh, that's our uh, spin-off show where we tell you about other things we've watched, other things that we've read, that we've played, that we we'll listen to. This is a special one, Alex, because it is basically our, uh, our After Hours for the Muppethon. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to call it the Muppethon Lost Files. It's the the three Muppet movies that we haven't covered yet. So we're going to put them all together in this special After Hours. We're going to talk about The Great Muppet Caper, Muppet Treasure Island, and Muppets from Space. We we haven't really compared notes about those, but we will. And you will all get to enjoy that, along with everything else I listed. So if any of that sounds interesting, just go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Take a look at our tiers. See if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, $10 are respective tiers. Go check it out. Just start off by throwing a buck our way. Uh, we know you'll you'll bump up eventually because you're going to need more of this content. Uh, you're going to need us to do one of our quick video reviews on God knows what. 
y'all y'all keep finding interesting things to throw our way but yeah it's <laughs> it's simple start off by throwing a buck see if you like it if you don't tell us what we could do to get you to like it tell us what we could give you that maybe you would think be worth that uh 100 pennies that that you've given us so uh, again patreon.com slash contrarian prime check it out let us know what you think let us know what you want we will continue to deliver the content to you all right with that out of the way, Julio, I think it's time to move into Muppets Most Wanted and our real feelings on it. And a real feeling I have is that this movie is hilarious. I remembered <laughs> enjoying it, but I did not remember laughing as much as I did this go around. Yes, I I laughed out loud a lot. And uh, there's a, a key difference. And it's not, it doesn't make it a bad movie. It's just... <laughs> kind of redundantly makes it a different movie from the 2011. And that is that this movie is not particularly interested in tugging at your heartstrings. No. And that's fine. Because if the trade-off is that you're just going to devote your energy to being funny, I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need to cry with every Muppets movie. <laughs> it's nice when it happens, like when it works, right? It, it's a... Uh, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan can get very emotional. Uh, the Muppet from 2011 it also, you know, has very emotional moments. But then you have something like Muppets Most Wanted, which is just relentless, like joke after joke after joke. And I'm okay with that too. Like I, I can have Muppets either way, and it makes me happy. So I think it. I, I think it needed to be. I think yes. Trying trying to follow up the 2011 Muppets movie with something that was. If you're going to try to be as emotional or moving as that was, it, that was just an immediate recipe for failure. But at the same time, it was a no-win scenario because I think that by going in this direction, they just a lot of people just dismissed it as saying, yes. "Oh, well, it, it has nothing to say." You know, they just they had this great setup from the 2011 movie. And they just wasted it on a, like some of the quotes when I was going through Rotten Tomatoes, like it's just, it's a generic sequel. And I was like, it's not. It's a sequel that is pretty funny. I mean, what did you want from this, from this yeah. movie? And this one, they kill Fozzie. Yeah, I don't really know what the, watching it now and knowing what I know and how much I love the 2011 one, I don't really know what they could have done. Uh, a better direction they could have taken because this is kind of what was needed because the last one was so heavy that having just a mindless Muppets movie is kind of what the doctor you would have thought ordered. Um, but not to be as the Muppets, the 2011 Jason Siegel led Muppets with a budget of 45 million had a box office return of 165 million Muppets most wanted with a budget of 51 million had a box office return of 80. So did um, less than half of what the 2011 one was before we ask why Julio, <laughs> it's a movie that's 80% on rotten tomatoes, meaning that there's 20% of critics that uh, gave it one of those nasty green splotches. So fuck was our problem? Well, Let's let's find some answers. Uh, these Run Tomatoes quotes started with Brian Tellerico from RogerRieber.com. And before I even go into his quote, do you always feel off, Alex, when you see a critic from RogerRieber.com that's not Roger Ebert? Yes. 
it's just it seems wrong i understand that they're trying to maintain the legacy and all that but it's still i i don't think i'll ever get used to that uh but anyway brian Telrico says opens with a self-referential song that comments on the fact that sequels are never quite as good as the film that inspired them and then goes on to prove the point not quite i think uh, Joe Williams from St. Louis Post-Dispatch says the way that Muppets Most Wanted grabs for the green is criminal. Grabs for the green. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. There's a... Uh, when Kermit's first in the gulag, I think, and they're they're about to kill him. Oh, God, what did they say? It's, oh, let's, let's throw him in recycling. And then he says, I'm already green. <laughs> um Matt Patches from Screen Crush says, is this movie trying to make me angry? What? Why? How? How? What, How? what can make you angry about this movie? Uh, and finally, Eve Tushnet from The American Spectator says, I don't want to watch Muppets modeling responsible communication or having a defining the relationship talk. But also, I don't want to watch Kermit the Frog stringing along a pig who's worth five of him. Eve took the relationship between Kermit and Miss Piggy to heart. And I do think that that is, I mean, I don't agree, but I, I think that is a talking point. The Kermit-Piggy relationship in this movie, as seen in the macro lenses, you know, through the macro lenses of the entire franchise. Of uh, the Mappets? Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. I, I think that we can get there eventually. But before that, how much do you think this movie was hurt by the fact that Jason Segel and Amy Adams didn't come back? Mm, I don't know. Cause I've, I'm trying to think about, I was trying to think about why, when I was watching this about like, why didn't this do half of the success of the predecessor? And it's like that first Muppets came back in and kind of shook things up. They got the show back and everything. And my cynical thought is maybe that it was just we're too far in the weeds to have the Muppets as uh, a reoccurring franchise again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel the first one may have got by a lot of on nostalgia uh, and then word of mouth. Uh, people went to see because it it's the Muppets and then it was a fucking awesome movie. And that's, you know, what packed a lot more people in there. And it was a movie that generations uh, didn't collide. What's the phrase I'm looking for here? Celebrated together because it was a lot of people that watched them up. It's just kids who had kids of their own now and it worked for both of them. And then, you know, maybe when this came out, it was just kind of like, ah, we just saw that. Or I don't know, man, because it's so weird because I, I imagine you come out of the 2011 Muppets liking it and two years later you're like oh yeah i like that one i'm gonna watch the new one <laughs> what's different this think. time oh there's no jason siegel that that'll be you know the the only thing like oh the guy from how i met your mother is not there anymore and amy adams was not she's on a different plateau of like superstardom now a different stratosphere of you know, A-lister, uh, but still, yeah, I don't think that's enough because the type of person that knows who Jason Siegel is, the type of average moviegoer who knows who Jason Siegel is, knows who Tina Fey is and probably knows who Ty Burrell is. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, but neither people of just them. hate Ricky Gervais, I guess. Yeah, that guy, because he has like 
stand-up bits that I still like from back in the day that I think are really funny. But I'm not going to like with good conscience tell someone a Ricky Gervais joke anymore. He basically just like he became what everyone's idea of him was in a negative way. Like everyone who didn't like him had this idea of what he was and that is what he has become. Well, I mean, or at least that's the persona that he's decided he's going to project. That's true. That's true. To the public. He he definitely, um, he's date Mike. Like that episode of The Office where (laughs) Michael I I easily thought prison Mike, but that's a different No, not prison Mike. Date Mike is um, when they set Michael up on that date, but they don't tell him. And he's like, he's cool and kind of handling it well. And charming and kind of you know a little dorky but still coming off as you know hey this guy's all right and then jim tells him that he's on a date and then he completely changes and that's like ricky gervais here he was was all right and i I stand by some of his previous uh his earlier works but then when he found out that people view him in a certain light man getting him to host the golden globes nine thousand years in a row was not a good idea That became his his thing. Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna tell you what you don't want to hear. I'm gonna fight everybody. And then on top of that, his whole thing. One of the years I remember him. Not one of the years. Multiple times he's talked about like I, we don't care about your political views. Da 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 da. And now he's Mister like anti cancel culture and shit. And it's just like <laughs> obviously it, we're not talking about cancel culture here. And some people would argue that's not a political view, but it's the same principle. It's like you're just kind of going on that's why he made headlines this week because he was talking about i'm gonna do a stand-up set intentionally to get canceled and it's like bruh (laughs) (laughs) anyway so the point is but but in 2014 was he this far into this antagonistic persona and even if he was is that really enough to to drive people away from a muppet movie no i don't really think so uh 2014 he no, definitely not. Because it's really been over just like the past five years that he's really become insufferable. Uh, I mean, he had a weird kind of pivot. His comedy, there was The Office and then his stand-up shit that he got famous for is, you know, dark comedy or some people call it black comedy. But I, I don't, I never thought he got that dark. I think he just said shit for attention, but he made some of it funny. But his filmography, you know, there's a lot of kids movies in this the invention of lying ghost town. Like I said, uh, the movie he made before this was, he was a, a voice in an animated movie escape from planet earth. He was also in grand theft auto four. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize he did the voice of that. Uh, I think what happened was he tried to be Mr. Hollywood middleman and just kind of try to play the game of being a nice guy. Um, Fucking Ghost Town. Yeah, like there were several movies that were made for him to be a leading man. And as I've joked about to you before, the idea in Ghost Town, the the love dynamic is him and Tia Leone. I find it a little <laughs> bit uh, far-fetched. But Julio, I'm certainly not here to tell you that Muppets Most Wanted was the tipping point for Ricky Gervais trying to reassign what his goals were in Hollywood or anything like that. But, but my thought is just by looking at his filmography here and what he went through is that he just tried to make it as a movie star and it didn't work. And I don't know if that made him bitter and <laughs> <laughs> wanted to be a bigger asshole than he already was type thing. But instead of, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. He was the opposite. He was like, if you can't join them, beat them. Yes. 
Invention of Lying had a respectable showing. Made $32 million off an $18 million budget. But, I mean, it, it's not too far-fetched to say that Ricky Gervais is not going to be a leading man. At least right? not this decade. <laughs> you know, some people get to it late. He's going to have a rorky comeback. Yeah. He's going to play an angry comedian in a couple of uh, decades. Well, that's and, the point now. He's become such an asshole that, you know, he's like not quite there, but like the whole Gina Carano principle of he's pissed people off so much they're not going to want to see him in anything. And if he does get any like roles in Star Wars or some shit, people are going to boycott it and try to get him fired. <laughs> well, good. Isn't that what he wants? Does he want to get canceled? Yes. Touche. <laughs> Gervais gets the last laugh. He gets what he wants. There's one school of thought. Ricky Gervais just deterred people away from wanting to see it. Um, the school of thought of just the Muppets in modern society is enough to peddle nostalgia, uh, but not necessarily to be a viable franchise, to use the exact words from the opening song. But that has no bearing on how good the movies are. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Do, do you have a theory or did you have any thoughts as to why this you thought that the turnaround on this was so drastic? Nothing that I would argue, you know, convincingly. I, I, I mean, I have a speculation. Like, I've, I've been thinking about it since I finished watching the movie. And even as I was watching, I was like, how does this not gather word of mouth? Like, you know, people were like, oh, that was really funny. You need to see it. And, you know, it has a lot of stars and it's just, but so what if the 2011 Muppets actually felt gave in a way too much closure to a lot of people and they're like that's, i'm okay i'm okay with this being the last thing i watch with the muppets that, dude that's me with batman so i get that yeah <laughs> that, you don't care how good robert pattinson might be you're I don't done. give a shit about any of it i went and saw that fucking pile of oh god that massive pile of excrement called Dawn of Justice because you insisted we go watch it with you. And I know some people probably like that movie, whatever. But for me, the end of Dark Knight Rises, I was just like, it's done. I don't need to see anything. And that's a very, very good point. Because, yeah, if you're a fan of the Muppets, man, Especially like a big time fan. I don't know of a better service that could have been done for you than that movie. And when it was over, oh God, it's it's so good. <laughs> We're just going to talk about how good that movie is. The musical number, the way it ends, is just perfect. Uh, yeah. So I could see that too. That, that's a good point. On a similar note, I think it's also, it, it could just be that people, uh, it's such an emotional experience that maybe they were not ready to get back to something like that. I mean, they're like, I'll get to it, but I don't really feel like going to the theater to uh, to feel that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It reminds me of when you said that after watching The Master, you're like, okay, I'm good on PTA movies for a while. I don't need to like jump onto the next one. And so you didn't watch uh, Inherent Vice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know that it's kind of a an emotional investment, and which it's funny because if they'd gone to see it, they would have seen that they would have experienced something completely different. It was just like a straight comedy. But I don't know, maybe that's that's also part of it. Whatever the case, it is unfairly maligned. The, the, the comparisons to 
the previous one. I mean, they're they're inevitable, obviously, but I don't know. It's just weird. It reminded me a little bit of the those quotes that we had in Muppets Take Manhattan, the, the people that kept kind of saying, oh, well, the original, it's not as good as the original. It's just okay. And here it's just like, oh, well, it's not as good as the 2011. It's just... It's just okay, except that it's just okay became a bad thing. <laughs> For, and I disagree on both instances. One, it's better than just okay. And two, I don't see it as a bad thing that it's not as good as the 2011, because it's still yeah. good. Now, the, the, the Kermit and Miss Piggy thing, I I don't know. How, how do you feel about it? I, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I do... You know, we got to the end here, and I wanted her to figure out that Constantine was not Kermit, before Kermit showed up to kind of save the day. She kind of did. But she did, but she didn't. Like, I, I think that they, they were trying to, at least it felt to me like they were trying to give her a little bit of a, a heroic moment, but without taking away from Kermit's heroic moment. Nah. You didn't feel that way? Because she's, you know, she's kind of being hesitant about saying yes, I do, to the priest, to uh, Frank Langella. And, uh, that gives Kermit enough time to show up. And then I, I, I just wanted her to go, you're not Kermit. <laughs> and then Kermit shows up. I mean, it's cute. I guess the thing that she, the, the way that she finally figures out who Kermit is, is because he, he can't give her a straight answer about the marriage. Oh, but, it's not that he just, cause he starts stammering over his words and she's like, right. Oh, that's yeah. He's like, Oh, I guess I could, I suppose, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, it, it's just that, has been my my minor complaint throughout the series, throughout the franchise. It's just that, oh, well, Muppets Take Manhattan was about where Miss Piggy had to trick Kermit into marrying her instead of them kind of like having this relationship be about Kermit finally proposing. And then even like as far as the first Muppet movie, you know, it was like, oh, she decides to follow him. I guess from where we started, you know, where it was like, oh, this, this, uh, character miss piggy that wants to be star and then slowly movie after movie it's become more about like oh well she just wants to be with kermit and kermit gets to do a lot of things in all the movies and with miss piggy a lot of the time it's just reduced to oh well she's mad at kermit because he doesn't want to commit or she is frustrated with kermit because you know he's not picking up on the hints and i like her the most when she is doing things that have nothing to do with that. Like uh, in the 2011 movie, when Kermit kind of gives up after they meet with Chris Cooper and then Miss Piggy takes charge and she's like, you know what? We're going to go kidnap Jack Black. <laughs> like, that that aspect of Miss Piggy is something that I I felt like it, it it wasn't here. You know, there's and there's a lot mm-hmm. going on in this movie, of course. So some characters are going to get shortchanged, but... I guess I just wish that they'd given her more to do in this movie besides singing with Celine Dion. Um, I mean, that's valid. And just like all the discussions of Kermit and Piggy have always been valid to me, but I think it's just the dynamic of their relationship is just that he's timid and she's very forthright. Um, I don't know. I, there's a lot of balancing to do in this because you have Kermit's story, you have the Constantine thing and, with the Constantine thing, you have to incorporate a lot of the Muppets around him, just not Piggy, the, how they're reacting to it. Uh, but she, you know, she has her number with Celine Dion, and then she had, like, <laughs> she's a big part of that give you anything you want with Constantine, and which is great. And, um, I don't know. I, I feel like 
Muppets take Manhattan and stuff, you can get too over-reliant on the Piggy character. Uh, and see, I would rather be used sparingly than just be used in a really like where all the qualities you think of of Piggy are just turned up to 10. I, I, I appreciated this because I felt there was a pretty good distribution uh, amongst the Muppets. And the most important one being Walter, because you're coming off of that movie where you introduce this brand new character to the Muppets, it, a new fucking Muppet. It's Walter. Mm-hmm. So the worst thing that could have happened is this becomes the Walter show, which it did not, but he still plays a pretty paramount role in this. And they do enough to like, uh, flash back to the 2011 one and kind of remind you why Walter is important and integral to the story. You know, he's the one that pulled them all back together and that type of thing. And then everyone else I feel gets their moments too. uh, Fozzie Gonzo. (laughs) What does he call him? Zongo. Uh, Zongo, that's it. <laughs> and Fonzie. Um. Uh, I actually, I felt that we didn't get enough Zongo in this one, but but he this he he does get a couple of really good jokes. I mean, the the whole thing with the bulls is is great. Yeah. Rolf gets some good lines in this one too. Yes, yeah, uh, and he's he's playing the piano in this Celine Dion number. Oh, wearing the white tux, it's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I totally agree about Walter too. I I think that it's it's funny because yeah you're right they could have made him the protagonist in this one uh, but instead he was just important enough to the story to where you get the sense that oh he's just one of them now he he's just like Rolf like Gonzo like uh, Animal he's just one of them and he's gonna come in and out of the story as necessary man he whistled once in this movie <laughs> I mean, it was a good whistle so we get to, yeah like, it commanded everyone's up. attention yeah yeah yeah. But yeah, no, that's good. I how do you feel about Riso not being in the last two movies? Or barely being in them. Well, he called out in this one, like mm-hmm. <laughs> sacrifice for, you know, some other beloved characters or whatever he said. It was good. This is the the scenario that's created when you have uh I'm refraining from using the term universe, because that's you and your nerds now. But um <laughs> You know, it's like the Simpsons movie when that came out. People were like, "Oh, this character wasn't in it." And like, well, they tried pretty hard to get everyone in that they could, and that's kind of what I feel here is like, what would be worse than us having a conversation uh, or the thought when a movie's over of like, eh, I kind of wish this guy would have been in a little bit more. Is the thought of, man, they made sure to include everyone so no one stuck out, like everyone was there so no one seemed special, and that's just kind of what happens when you have 50 years nearly worth of canon and characters is that when you make something that's an hour and 50 minutes, it doesn't mean that you need to make a cohesive, like a coherent story Mm -hmm. of it. Then not everyone's going to be involved. And I don't think that's a bad thing because what they end up making is good. Now, if it sucked, then you could be like, Oh yeah, they could have done this and, had this character in here and it would have been better, that type of thing. But I watched something like this that I think is great. And at the end of it, my thought is like, maybe like, Oh yeah, it would have been cool if they found a spot for, I don't know, big bird since he was, you know, a usual (laughs) suspect in some of the ones we've watched in the Muppet-thon. But, you know, that's just kind of uh, the blessing and the curse that comes along with having something that's so expansive. Yeah. And, and, you know, for all the, the, uh, discourse about how this one doesn't really care much about emotion or talking about heartstrings. It does have a soul. I mean, the oh yeah, 
there's a lot going on, but in the end, it ends up being a movie about Kermit, even more so than the 2011. Like, 2011 was about the Muppets as a concept, like the group. Uh, but this one, specifically, just zeroes in on the value that Kermit has as a leader to the group. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end, when they apologize to him for taking him for granted, I mean, that is, that, that's your emotional moment. That's, <laughs> that's your emotional core, because it's true. They... They took him for granted, and uh, but in the end, they they're all family, and uh, you know all that's missing is Vin Diesel there. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> um, Tina Fey is really funny, which you know, obviously not telling tales at recess saying that, but uh, as we alluded to, she's doing some things for me in this movie. That's that's for damn <laughs> it's the sure. uniform. Is it the uniform or the accent? The accent, the uniform, yeah, the, <laughs> the just her the command. way she looks at Kermit, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> just finding new fetishes here. <laughs> she commands respect and power, and she's just domineering over all these men. It's, whew. <laughs> uh, but she's great, and yeah, as we you know mentioned too, we even broke the, we even broke the facade of Contrarian's Corner when talking about Ty Burrell as Napoleon in this. Uh, the like you said the the bit he's committed to of he's european so when it's lunchtime it's lunchtime when it's time for vacation it's time for vacation uh i think the hardest i laughed at anything involving them was when they figure out where they're going and they're going to london and they're like they're performing by the tower of london you know what's by the tower of london is the the royal jewels and it's that thing where they look at each other and they think they've come to the same conclusion do you know what part i'm talking about yeah yeah because yeah. uh sam says they're going to steal the jewels <laughs> and ty burrell yells louder than him he's going to steal the tower of london the royal jewels <laughs> it's so fucking funny i mean uh, i was i was already Phil is my favorite character in Modern Family, so yeah, I, I was already predisposed to loving whatever Tyrell was going to do. I I know going into the movie the first time, I was hoping that he would get a a musical number, and he did. So I was over the moon. Um, at the time, I think I'm pretty sure the first time I watched Muppet Most Wanted, I hadn't really watched the Pink Panther movies, the the old ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I watched the the first one, the first Peter Sellers one, uh, a couple of years ago, and he is pulling a lot from uh, Peter Sellers as the as Inspector Clouseau in uh, Pink Panther, but oh, not yeah. enough to where you're just like, oh, that's the joke and that's it. No, it's like, oh, he, he clearly his his French uh, is he a he's not CIA, Sam is CIA, so oh, he's Interpol, Interpol. Yeah. yeah. So his Interpol uh, inspector, you know, he's like, oh, he has a French accent and the mustache and. And that's kind of like where it ends, because the the whole thing with Peter Sellers is that he's really clumsy and that he is uh, uh and that he's an idiot, and that's not the case with uh with Napoleon. Napoleon is actually he seems fairly smart and uh, he's just a, little, a man of habit. Yeah, 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 and kind of ego driven. But that's it, you know. So uh, that I shot of him think... drinking his espresso with like that Barbie sized mug <laughs> yeah. is so good. <laughs> Yeah, the the joke is a lot of the joke is just that he's European to an extreme, you know, stereotype. Just like Sam is American to the extreme. Yeah, that that whole thing is brilliant. Would you say their song is your favorite song, or is it Big House? 
Oof, I like Big House. This I have in my notes here. I didn't want to bring it up because it's a positive thing, but um, somewhere in my notes I put this This movie's loaded with bangers uh, <laughs> just because I, I love the give you what you want just basically because of the way Constantine's selling it. That part where he like, puts his hand on his chest and his hand to the sky. Um, <laughs> we're doing a sequel. Together Again is great. Together Again is awesome. It, mm-hmm. like that, that's, that whole closing sequence, it has the unfortunate CG that's used for it, but it's used for good, uh, and it is used to add something, so I'll, I'll let that slide. But just the whole big crescendo of uh, Kermit and Constantine singing together again. That's tremendous. <laughs> but as far as something that incorporates all the characters and uh, it like plays a part in the plot, it, it's not just a song for the sake of having a good song there. It's yeah, that, that interrogation song's a lot of fun. And it also plays into my, my favorite bit of men just being absolutely infatuated with Miss Piggy. <laughs> He keeps making uh, pig puns. Yeah. And he does that one of like, if you want to save your, and then twists his mustache, bacon. <laughs> I love it. I think I lean towards Big House because. That's uh, such a brilliant song, too, because, you know, obviously the joke is she's singing a song that's trying to put a spin on you being in prison for 30 years. <laughs> As if that wasn't good enough. Just seeing Ray Liotta and Daddy Trejo dancing in the background. <laughs> just, I love it. I mean, now that we're in real talk, I can just say how much I appreciate that that casting. And, oh, yeah. It's it's so good. It, it's something I did not have the capacity to appreciate enough in my 20s when I saw this movie for the first time. Um, and, one of the, and one of the bits of trivia here that I, I did want to read off, which was ungodly moving. Um, Danny Trejo's mother passed away as he was filming his last scenes in this movie as he was finishing his scenes so he could fly back to Los Angeles, California for the funeral the cast and crew offered their condolences and sympathies to him Trejo, known for his tough guy roles and demeanor shrugged off the sympathies when Steve Whitmire offered his condolences and the character as Kermit the Frog Trejo broke down crying that's pretty ballsy though from Steve Whitmire like you see somebody who's grieving and you go up in character <laughs> to offer condolences. Well, I would, I would hope the idea is like when they were just kind of in the trenches together. Not like he found him in catering. He's like, <laughs> "Hi ho, Danny!" <laughs> right, but still, he did it. I'm assuming he did it in character, right? Like the way that that trivia reads is like Kermit expresses condolences, right? Not Steve Whitmire. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what I mean? There's a huge difference if, like, they're in the middle of filming a scene and he says something as Kermit to be, like, nice to him versus <laughs> him, like, I don't think he walked up to his door with, like, a fucking candy gram or something. <laughs> Hi-ho, Danny. One of the things that I remember hearing when this first came out and a critique I heard and several people I talked to about it said to me was that this movie didn't have enough Muppets humor in it. And watching it now, I can say that is definitively incorrect. I think that there is a a, a section of the population, uh, the population that I guess 
defines themselves as as Muppet fans. They mm-hmm. have a very specific idea of what Muppet humor is, and uh, it might be even like a little close minded. Like I couldn't even tell you exactly what their definition is, but that that idea of like, oh, this doesn't feel like the Muppets. That seems very uh, uh, close minded, considering that the whole idea, at least the way I understand it, is that the Muppets, because they're so subversive and so out there, it, it just kind Material. of yeah, exactly. You know, you can just do everything you want with them because that's the whole point. The point is they're not constrained to whatever you're thinking of as your traditional comedy, and so. Uh, unless you're talking about it being something very traditional and something very uh, unexciting, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is just like a random, like a regular movie, a regular comedy, then that's not like Muppets humor. But that's not what I would say about Muppets Most Wanted or any of the movies that we watch. You know, even the ones that didn't quite work Mm -hmm. still felt very much like Muppet movies because there's always... I think that they've managed to keep a very, you know, like the hive mind that they have at Pixar, you know, imagine they have something similar taking care of the Muppet franchise. And there's there are people that have been working there throughout all these years, you know, from the beginning. And they they know these characters and they're constantly trying new things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But to accuse something of not having Muppet humor usually kind of feels like the person making the accusation is being a little close-minded about what Muppet humor is. Yeah, uh, or just the type of person that went into it determined that they're not going to like it and just need to fall back on something. Julia, I remember really enjoying this movie, but I was surprised how much I liked it here upon rewatch. Uh, I did want to go over quickly to see it because one of my immediate thoughts was, well, maybe something came out that weekend that Mm -hmm. was the reason it slipped. There was something called Divergent that came out that same weekend. Mm, it's uh, a young adult book adaptation. Oh, it's got Mrs. Aaron Rodgers in it. <laughs> Ashley Judd. There you go. Jai Courtney. Uh-oh. <laughs> Confirmed box office megastar, Jai Courtney. Uh, Nymphomaniac Part 1 uh, was apparently go. also released that weekend. But it looks like from the domestic box office reports from March 2014. Yeah, it was that movie Divergent. Uh, Noah was that same month. <laughs> Not a big hit. Made $100 million. I take and... it back. <laughs> <laughs> Do not underestimate the religious crowds. You know what bothers me on a personal level is that the Grand Budapest Hotel made more money in the month of March than... <laughs> They had more cameos. Anybody that didn't fit in Muppet Most Wanted ended up in the Wes Anderson movie. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Julio, I don't know if there ever will be a cut and dry reason as to why Muppets Most Wanted. It's not, again, do not get this twisted. It's not a failure. It's just there was a lot more fanfare that came along with the 2011 one. Like I said, the show was back for a period in time, and it just seemed like. Uh, it was possible that the Muppets were going to be back in the, the pop culture zeitgeist and this movie came along and it really, sadly, because I would love to have the Muppets have a movie every three years, selfishly, uh, but it seems like, sadly, society may have just kind of moved past that and celebrated the 2011 one as a nostalgia act 
but one that wasn't here to stay. That being said, I really liked this um, more so than I remember enjoying it. The Constantine character, Ty Burrell. The runtime, though, it was a bit long. Like what, uh, 150? Yeah. When they got to London for the wedding and there was still a half hour left in the movie, I was like, all right, guys. <laughs> Fortunately, they kind of made me look like an ass because the the scene that you could point to is the one that could have been cut and saved five minutes was that mirror sequence that I thought was so fucking funny. <laughs> so they made the seconds count. Yeah, I, I don't I was never bored while I was watching this, so I didn't really feel the runtime. I I mean, I had a thought when I first saw how long it was. And I'm like, ah, we've, we're a long way from the the 90 minute movies from the 80s. But yeah, that was something I looked up too because the 2011 one. Uh, I was like, man, the 2011 one was like an hour and 25 minutes. Nope, it no. was also an hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> that's all right. You gotta, you know, that's just don't complain, Alex. Because these days, did you see the runtime for the Batman, the new Batman movie? Yeah, well. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so that that's how my mind works is to me the 2011 Muppets movie is like the pinnacle it's the perfect Muppets movie it's like a perfect movie so of course in my head it's an hour and 25 minutes long <laughs> it's a shame that you know these days everybody thinks in trilogies so it's a shame that they never got to complete the trilogy here I <laughs> I kind of have a feeling that if we had gotten a third movie, a third Muppet movie from uh, James Bobbin and uh, Nicholas Stoller, it might have actually been about Kermit and Piggy's wedding, which I would have loved. Yeah. Just like a full movie that's just the, the, them getting ready for the wedding. Like, you know, a wedding movie, a wedding comedy, and just the, the shenanigans that take place there. But I don't know, man. I need to wait another 10 years or so when it would be considered nostalgic again. <laughs> Yeah, when you said this movie's almost 10 years old, I was like, fuck me. <laughs> so so what's the score, Alex? I gave Muppets Take Manhattan, which was my favorite coming into this. I think I gave it an A because I needed to leave that buffer room for <laughs> the 2011 one. Because I think, I, you know me, I always want to be... I want to sound intelligent, so the older one's my favorite. But I really do love Muppets Take Manhattan. But that 2011 one, I, I think upon rewatch, it will definitely take the crown. For this, man, the the my main knock on it, my the negative thing I could say is that it's it's just not the 2011 one. Yep. Like, that would be the, the criticism. There's nothing wrong with it otherwise. So I'm comfortable giving it an A-. What about yourself? Again, just strategic rating. I'm landing on four and a half because the 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 2011 is five stars. It's just like it's a perfect movie, and this one it's it's like you just said like it's not that and that doesn't make it a bad movie, but it it still means that I'm not walking away from it just moved to my core. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's fine. I mean, I, it still it makes me laugh a lot, and I honestly, if we didn't have to record, I would have gone back to play the big house again. Um. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, four and a half. They, I think that before this rewatch, I had it at four, and I think the discourse around it convinced me that it wasn't as good as I had thought, and so mm -hmm. it was such a relief to watch it and be like, no, dude, it's just as good as I had thought. 
when I watched Hard it. same. Yeah. That was in some of my like preparation for it and reading about it where people just kind of acted like it was just kind of life on its side. Uh, no, this is this is great. And one last thing before we take it home, I want to call out is something that uh, it's a moment. It's so simple and really, you know, it's something I wouldn't call a lot of attention to some people. But it's something that kind of defines the Muppets to me, because in a lot of Disney movies, a lot of kids movies, you know, a lot of movies we watch as adults, the bad guy in the end will something will happen to demean them or you know, kids movies, especially that ends with musical numbers. We'll show them like behind bars or something like that. I love so much that the closing musical number of this, the together again, that Kermit and Constantine at the end come face to face. And he says together. uh, And then he looks at him together. uh, And they kind of just make good. It's, it's this simple, innocent evil can be trounced by good that, only the Muppets can really represent and it's such a simple moment and I fucking love it and it's like I said it's something that went completely under celebrated but it's one of my favorite moments in the movie and it just nails home that what we were talking about that these guys knew the tone of the Muppets and something like that in the end where you know we know that Kermit and Piggy are going to go on to their life and Constantine's going to stay in the gulag. But for this one moment, you know, it doesn't mean we can't be friends. It's wonderful. Love it. Five stars. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's, oh man, it's so good. All right. That concludes the Muppethon. Julio, thank you for putting this together for us. I look forward to the next project and where it takes us. Up next is our 150th episode. My God. I know. Multiple of 10, that means it's a gray area episode. And you picked, Alex. You picked our next gray area movie. We are going to be talking about Can't Hardly Wait, an Ethan Embry vehicle. It strikes me, though, as a movie we're going to watch and Julio's going to be like, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to put on a Russian accent. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Julio Oliveira is pleased by this movie. <laughs> All right. Ready to get out of here? Yes. Take us out of here, Alex. All right. Well, we're going to start off by giving a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Ruth Gieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. Uh, you can just reach out to him and ask him to do stuff for you. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. Or you can check out his website, uh, check the rest of his work, all the novels that he's written. Um, that's at mildemonios.pe. Uh, Hans is pretty prolific. Uh, he has a bunch of zombie novels, some science fiction novels, and two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez, who helps keep an eye on our social media game. If you're on Facebook and you haven't already, go to facebook.com slash contrarian prime give us a like and if you're on instagram at contrarian prime is where you can follow us uh, 
on both those platforms. Zoe puts together some exclusive videos, audio clips, interactive graphics, just a lot of things that Julio and I are too old to grasp the concept of. So, Zoe, thank you for all the work you do for us. And with that being said, Julio, so concludes the Muppethon. On to our next adventure. For those of you who have joined us along the way, or even just for this episode, we say thank you for joining us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. And I just want you to know, I'm really glad you're following your dreams. And so when she passed away, I was in London, and uh, got the call, and... and, and, and uh, I'm ready to leave. I'm leaving. I don't care about the Muppets. I'm going home. You know? mm-hmm. My secretary, thank God, Mary, she called and said, don't, don't, no, don't come. You'll just be in the way. We're taking wow. care of everything. Please just finish your job because you don't got that much money to pay them back anyway. So just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just because of you because it would be on me. If yeah, I yeah, and so, so I said, okay, so I stayed. I just, you know, threw it. And nobody could understand. Wow, you are just, you're just, no, I can do it. I can do it. Just going. And then that stupid little frog, that little good guy, Kermit. Kermit, Kermit, comes up. The guy that's got Kermit, he goes, Danny, I'm really sorry. He goes, Mom, I'm really sorry. I'm going to get crying. <laughs> but he said, I'm really sorry about your mom. I, I went to, had to go to the bathroom. Boom! And just like yeah, couldn't just believe like, it. Just like waterworks. It was like, yeah, it was like, wow. And then I, I was there and I started laughing because I knew, you said it, Mom. Yeah. You said that. <laughs> <laughs>